Welcome to Raised on D&D podcast. Each month, Raised on D&D brings you inspirational interviews with tips and strategies to enrich your family's gaming experience. Your host for Raised on D&D has been a game master for 30 years and father to three gamers. Here is Nick Cardarelli. Welcome back, gamers. I'm your host, Nick Cardarelli, and this is Raised on D&D. My next guest is originally from upstate New York, but currently lives in San Diego, California. He's the game design manager at USAopoly, a.k.a. The Op. His most recently released games have included Onward, Quests of Yore, SpongeBob Meme Mon- Monopoly, and Critical Role Munchkin. He's had a number of games releasing later this year and next year that he can't even talk about yet. Please welcome Pat Marino. Hi, Pat. Hi. Thanks for having me on. (laughs) Thanks for being on the show, Pat. So can you take us back and tell us your first experience with tabletop role-playing games? Sure. So I think my my first experience with uh, TTRPG actually came in college. So I, I grew up playing board games, you know, with the family playing magic, the gathering with my older brother. Uh, we played things like hero quest and, and that kind of stuff. But the first like yeah. real, uh, RPG experience I had was a uh, freshman year of college, a uh, group of friends and I got together and decided like it, we weren't really true geeks until we played D and D right. We had to have that experience. Um, and so one of the guys on the, on the dorm floor agreed that he would be the, the DM and, got everything set up and, you know, we all made our characters and got into it and got ready. And, uh, and of course being new to it, he didn't see the flaw in presenting us with a deck of many things very early into our first adventure. <laughs> the deck of many things is so iconic of Dungeons and Dragons. How did, how did that turn out for you guys? Uh, as, as one might expect with, uh, with very new characters with nothing to lose, uh, it was, you know, everyone drawing handfuls of cards just to see what would happen. And I, I seem to remember somebody ending up with a, a magical enchanted weapon with about 15 enchantments on it. I remember uh, uh, a level 10 knight appearing to just walk beside one of the players. And we we're sort of like, we're all level one. Why would this, <laughs> this magical guardian just show up and, and defend us? Uh, so as you might imagine, it, it broke the game pretty quick uh, for us. And, and we had to kind of regroup after that. But, uh, but yeah, that was definitely the, the first experience I had with, a, with an RPG. And it was definitely a memorable one. That is fantastic. But I know that you have many, many games in your repertoire other than role-playing games. What other kind of games uh, do you like, Pat? Um, I like just about everything, uh, which is a problem uh, with, with only uh, a small house to store all my games in and, and having about 300 of them in the collection right now. It, uh, wow. It's a little crowded, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I discovered Euro games starting with Catan when a friend introduced me to those in, in probably 2010 um, and quickly just like fell down that rabbit hole of had to get Carcassonne and Agricola and, and kind of anything I could get my hands on at the time, um, you know, discovered board game geek, discovered Gen Con started designing games because I just had all these ideas of, you know, how, how the play patterns could be different or better or, or more to my liking. Um, so just became very obsessed to the point of like every podcast, every YouTube thing I could find. And, you know, Will Wheaton's tabletop was big at that time. So that was like a, a, a big thing of like, oh, there's this whole world. I have to be a part of this. And 
Um, my older brother had been going to Gen Con for years for um, war machine tournaments and that kind of thing. And he's like, Oh, you got to come with me one year. And that was just like, you know, that was Mecca for me. It was just like, I need every game in this room right now to come home with me. So, yeah. So how did you go from a tabletop fan to tabletop creator? So maybe a month after I discovered Catan, I was, I was just had this idea pop in my head for a, a game and how it would work. Um, and it was a, a game I called restaurant tour. And it was about like, basically you were starting on a street corner with a hot dog stand in, in a metropolis and you were trying to work up to owning like chains of steakhouses and things like that and, and sort of build your own restaurant, uh, tycoon type of thing. Um, and because I had the idea, I had to make it. So I made it and then I had to play it and then I had to know what to do with it. So I started you know, doing all kinds of research and I found, uh, the Cobalt Guide to Board Game Design from Cobalt Press. And I read that cover to cover. And, you know, Richard Garfield has a chapter and Mike Selinker has a chapter. And it's all these industry greats, like telling you what to do once you have an idea. Um, and I feel like that helped me like m sort of dodge a few stumbling blocks. But uh, I still took that game to Gen Con and, and tried to pitch it to any publisher who would listen to me. Uh, and there was a lot of really kind people who politely told me that, you know, it wasn't really ready or it wasn't the right game for them. Um, and so I, I went back home and kind of played around with that idea for a little bit, realized the game was actually really broken. And, and so somebody found that flaw for me, which was appreciated, but, but hard to take. And then I mm -hmm. started working on another game that, uh, Smirk and Dagger looked at for a while. And Kurt Covert, who's the, the owner over there really helped me kind of forge a path and figure out how to do this whole pitch thing better. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I was basically living in San Diego at the time and, and pitching games to anyone who would listen. And that meant going up to the USAopoly offices in Carlsbad on occasion and, and showing them what I do and networking there. So that was all, all a big part of the process and, and eventually led to me working in the industry. So uh, it all worked out quite well for me. Well, and I know that our listeners are wondering how one becomes the game design manager at, somewhere like USAopoly. So how, how did that happen? Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things I wonder myself sometimes is how <laughs> did that happen? Um, and, and being in the industry now, I, I realize more than I did at the time, how rare full-time design jobs are. Um, you know, a lot of the smaller publishers are looking for a freelance designer who in their own time developed a game and, and pitched it to them much like you would write a book. Right. And you'd pitch it to a publishing house. And if they like it, they'll pay you a royalty on the, the profits that they make from, from printing and selling your book. Um, so the way it kind of played out for me though, was, uh, as I said, I lived in the area. So I was able to go to the offices on occasion and, and show games to Tony Cerbriani, Cami Mandel, Andrew Wolf, sort of the, the in-house game team at the time. And, uh, you know, they knew my work, they knew what kind of games I could design and, um, sort of had that, that connection there, uh, it came up that they had this game that they wanted to do with sideshow collectibles. The, the company that does like really premium, like Marvel sculptures and, you know, Iron Man and all those kinds of things that you can put in your house and show off. Um, they had their own IP called court of the dead and they wanted a board game for it. And the app wanted to make this game. They just didn't have the time, uh, to, to develop the level of game and the complexity of game that really would fit that IP. So they reached out to me and said, you know, would you 
design this game on contract for us. If, if we pay you some money, will you, you know, make this happen? And I said, sure, I'll, I'll do that. Um, and very quickly went home and read everything I could about court of the dead, which I hadn't, <laughs> hadn't learned about before, you know, unfortunately a lot of it was free and some of it, they had, um, you know, sideshow had given the ops some resources and books and stuff that I was able to take home and do that. Um, and, uh, while I was ideating on how I was going to do all this, uh, they reached out to me and said like maybe two, three days later and said, actually, if you want to work here full time, we can make that happen. Uh, wow. Yeah. Oh my and, goodness. And, and that was my reaction. I kind of went, really? And you're, <laughs> you're going to pay me for that? Like, okay. Um, that is like the dream of every gamer who, who wants to design and write games. That's, that's phenomenal. And it's incredible that you were right place, right time. And all that hard work that you put in all that groundwork that they knew, Hey, this is the, this is the guy that we need right now. And that's, that's fantastic. Everyone is in love with Pixar's Onward. How does this come about? Uh, how do you get involved in the project? How, how, do, how, do you, how do you build the team? Can you, can you walk us through that? Can you tell us how that all came to happen? Sure. I think one of the, the kind of backend things that's, that's helpful to know is USAopoly or the op, like we thrive on and, and really do well with licensed games. Right. And so we've mm-hmm. done stuff for Disney and Warner brothers and, you know, everybody under the sun um, in terms of, of the properties we have and have partnered with. And so we have a good relationship with Disney and Pixar. Um, we've done a number of projects with them. So periodically we get to go to their offices and we'll meet about, you know, what stuff they have coming up and, and they'll give us some previews of some things. And, um, you know, sometimes it's really good, sometimes not so much. Um, and, and what I mean by that is like, you might be in a meeting and, they might just spoil the ending of like a major Marvel movie without warning, um, which, <laughs> you know, when you have that, that big moment where everybody in the theater is like, I can't believe that happened. And you're like, Oh, right. People didn't know that. Okay. Um, and, but, uh, but this was one of those times we were, we were up at the Disney offices and um, they were telling us about some upcoming projects and, um, they had these little screening rooms, like little mini theaters, and they were giving us some, some preview stuff. And they were telling us about the, the slate for Pixar coming up for that year. So they told us a little bit about soul and then they brought us up to speed on onward. And they were showing us these like almost animated storyboards with like, like 2d clip art versions of the characters bouncing around the screen with the, the dialogue and stuff behind it. And they gave us the overview of what the story was. And it was like, okay, we've got your, your heartwarming like Pixar story that you get. But on top of all that, we have a TTRPG as the core sort of spine of the story that holds it all together and, and sort of outlines the story arc for the characters. And so after they showed us this, they said, what we want to do is take that game that Barley had and that they use in the film. And we want that game to be real. Can you do it? Oh my goodness. Yeah. So there was this, this like, like buzz in the room of like everyone wanted to say yes from the app, but we also were sitting there with this feeling of we've never done an RPG and that game looks a lot like an RPG. Like, you know, they'd kind of given us some glimpses of what it looked like on the table. They had like a, a concept art piece of it. You know, so we're like, well, it looks a little hero questy the, the way they had it with some doorways and stuff, but we'd seen the books that Barley had. And that was just all TTRPG stuff. And we were like, it's gotta be that. 
So we had this sort of like, what are we going to do? Because <laughs> we, we need to do this. We want to do this. But it's not, you know, we know how to do Disney games. We know how to do board games and produce them and, and sell them and get them into stores. We just didn't know how to do that writing piece. So that was sort of our, our first challenge, I guess, with it. We have gotten, uh, my family has recently gotten the copy of Quests of Yore. And it, it, it's a huge box and there's tons of stuff in there. There's miniatures, there's cards, there's tokens. And when you're unpacking it, you, you think at first this is going to be another board game or, or a, a kind of a limited RPG board game, but it's not. It's a, it's a whole RPG. I mean, you can even make your own characters. You can expand the story. Uh, it's, it's incredible. So who was it that you, you felt you had to pull in for the writing part to make, make this more tabletop role-playing game and less board game? How, to, how did that happen? Well, we knew we needed somebody who knew RPGs, who, who lived and breathed them, who was a, a fan first, uh, but also a writer. Um, and it just so happened that um, we had access to Matthew Ruther. Um, his wife works with us at the op. He's a writer. He loves RPGs. This is sort of his, his wheelhouse, right? So knowing he was right down the street, could pop by the office whenever we needed, we reached out to him and said, you know, this is, is the project that we have before us. And we had sort of internally decided at the op, we wanted this game to sort of do what our Hogwarts battle uh, game did, mm -hmm. which is introduce people who love an IP to a style of gaming. So that game starts with, you know, what a hobby gamer would see as very, very light deck building. But by the end of the Hogwarts battle experience, you're full on playing hobby level complex deck building. And we thought we need to do that for RPG. Like the onward game needs to maybe start with a few bumpers for people who are, you know, might look at D and D and a stack of books and go, I know that's too much for me. Um, we really wanted this to be something a family who's never played an RPG could play, mm -hmm. but that by the end of it, they might be at the point where they're writing their own quest, right. And creating their own characters and, and creating adversaries and doing all this kind of stuff. So when we met with Matthew, we said, that's what we need. And, you know, Matthew's got two young kids. They play RPGs together. He's got a really good sense of what they can handle, what they can't. And he's a great storyteller. So, um, you know, we presented it and what was really cool was the Pixar team who made onward wanted to be very involved in this. So that's not always the case when we do like a creative project based on a license, you know, if we're doing uh, Harry Potter stuff, we don't sit down with JK Rowling and talk story and strategy. <laughs> um, but in this case, um, we actually got to sit down with Dan Scanlon who directed the film and storyboard artists and writers and the executive producer and they told us what they wanted was not Ian and Barley's story from the film. They wanted Barley's game. So, wow. you know, basically our goal here was to, to make this game that was approachable for families, but that was like an artifact straight out of the movie, not a retelling of it. And so that's kind of where this idea evolved. It. And, and as you look at the components, there's handwritten notes and stickers and stuff that Barley yes. has put all over it to <laughs> customize it. There's Cheeto stains. <laughs> This, this is his well-loved copy that he's dropped on your doorstep and said, I want you to play this game that I love, go check it out, you know? And so 
they really helped us shape that, but they also gave us all this insight into, you know, in the film where we're in the, the United realms is, is where Ian and Barley live. But in the game, we're 600 years earlier in the fractured realms when magic was still very much alive and everywhere. Um, and people were going on these grand adventures and, and battling adversaries and, and the world was a much wilder place. So we were able to really get a lot of context from the Pixar team into what that world looked like, you know, so long before the timeline of the film. And then Matthew was able to take that and craft the pre-generated characters and figure out where the mana core fit into it and create this whole story arc. And then about chapter four, um, and, and there's, you know, a, a series of chapters you play this out in. So it's, it's a number of gaming sessions you have as you play through this whole sort of epic adventure. Mm -hmm. um, we had Ivan Van Norman and uh, Jameson McDaniel come in and they're both very experienced in the RPG space as well. Um, and I've done a lot of work and in, in written RPGs and, and things like that. So we had them come in and, and start adding some more chapters to the story as well. Um, so once we had that sort of gaming system that, you know, Matthew first set up and then I developed, and then we had like a, a good start to the story. We were able to bring in more writers, which helped with our timelines because there's, there's a lot to do for an RPG. Yes. Yes. It's very, it, and, and it sounds like it's, very involved and it's amazing how many talented creative people it took to make this into a reality and and the system is great i mean we're not going to go into too much of the system right now but the fact that we can use the whole set of polyhedron dice um in the game and swap out the dice I, I know that fans of D12s are so thankful that uh, that you guys incorporated all those uh, all those dice and the D20, which is kind of the the standard die for most uh, world famous tabletop role playing games, does play a factor in the game, but it, but it's not the cornerstone die. You got to use all the dice, and and my children really enjoyed that. They're like, I've never used this dice before, <laughs> and this is really great. I, I got to geek out just a little bit here about Onward being the game, the the film, and now the game for tabletop role playing game families. I mean, I remember taking the children to the theater to watch Onward. When we saw the preview, we were so excited. And when we, when we went to the theater, it was wonderful because uh, I have two sons who are close in age. All three of mine are, are little stair steps, but um, my two sons are best of friends. And when they watched the film, they really connected with the two main characters. My younger one really liked that it was that it took place in a more modern time and kind of bridged the gap. He said to me when I was asking him about it, he said that what he liked most was halfway through the film, you really stopped thinking of it as a fantasy realm and just saw the characters for as people with problems um, and trying to overcome them. And my, my older son said that the parts of the film where they kept talking about uh, a hero, you know, tries to do with what 
what little he has on hand to do great things. He said that that was really, uh, really made an impact on him and really changed the way he looked at tabletop role-playing games as a way to be creative and resourceful uh, in uh, when under pressure. So all of, all of that, the film was amazing. And so when we saw that the op was, uh, uh, first pre-ordering and now has released uh, uh, Quests of Yore, we knew we had to have it. We knew we had to have it as soon as we could get our hands on it and we had to play it um, because the movie was just made such a big impact. And my children have been raised on Dungeons and Dragons, been raised on D&D, and they've been since very small, been around the game table, and then started playing very, very early in that. And, and we didn't have the benefit of 10, 11 years ago of having, there's all these tabletop RPGs that are directly geared towards young players, towards uh, 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 elementary school aged gamers. And we didn't have that advantage 11, 12 years ago. So we had to kind of water down Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder and things like that. So the, the fact that Pixar has made this film as a love story to tabletop role-playing games and its fans. Um, and then on top of it, now the op has made like you were talking about Pat, a, a, a kind of an introduction to tabletop role-playing games um, that makes it easy for people who have never played before and is also something that hardcore role-playing game fans can really enjoy with their families is just incredible. Uh, it, it's such a, such a, a, a beautiful contribution to families that game together. And Pat, I can't thank you and your team and the op enough for the hours and hours of family time that my family is going to have because of this game and because of and millions of families are going to have because of this game. So thank you. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for sharing all of that. I mean, it, it, uh, it, it's really hit me hard here because uh, you know, so often we do these games and they, they go out in the marketplace and, at conventions and stuff, we, we get some feedback usually from some folks, but there's a lot of times where, you know, we, we hope that uh, people are enjoying the games and that they're out there and, and having a good experience, but we don't always get the stories. So it, uh, it's, uh, it's always very uplifting to hear that. And, and this one was uh, definitely a special project for us and, and something that, uh, as you said, it was many, many hours, many of them spent proofreading, which was uh, <laughs> quite a task when you really get into it. Um, but uh really worth it, you know, for, for the impact that I'm hoping we have on a lot of families and, you know, both families like yours that are very experienced with, with TTRPGs and, and hopefully families who maybe were afraid of the genre or didn't even know where to begin or, or how to approach it, uh, that hopefully we'll pick this up and, and, you know, see the, the note from Barley in the, in the margins of the player's guide and, and realize, you know, the sort of thing we tried to stress is, is that really a wrong way to play as long as the players are having a good experience and the story keeps moving and, and, and fun and interesting ways, you know, if, if a die roll wasn't resolved quite 
accurately according to the rules or, or something kind of slipped here or there, you know, our feeling on it was that's not really what's important. What's important is the experience you share around the table. Absolutely. And, you know, the, one of the big things that we mention a lot on this show, and we've heard it from uh, teachers and doctors and uh, parents and game designers uh, over and over and over again, is tabletop role-playing games, they help n- not just, uh, I, 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 wouldn't even, I wouldn't even put it in a box of just young players. I, I genuinely believe that... T- Tabletop role-playing games help people to develop uh, skills, not only of communication, confidence, um, but they, it, can, it can help them in the real world. Uh, and, and Pat, have, have you, ex- have you uh, experienced anything like that? Have you, have you seen that tabletop role-playing games do help uh, whether it's young people or, or anybody, uh, help them, uh, develop skills that help them in real life. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, part of my background prior to games is, is that I worked in higher education. Um, and while I was on that path in life, um, I did a a PhD in leadership studies. So looking at higher education leadership and, and everything involved with student development in that realm. Um, and my research, because I am a game person for my dissertation, was looking at the, the sort of connection between games and resilience um, and trying to figure out if there's a way to use different types of games to build resilience. And if so, what type of game is, is the best for that? So to kind of approach that research, what I did was looked at resiliency across the board for a group of students and then also ask them a whole bunch of questions about how often they play games, what kind of games they play and everything from, you know, do you play candy crush on your phone? Do you play board games? Do you play call of duty? You know, are you playing um, RPGs? Like what, where's kind of your experience? How often do you play? How many hours when each time that you play those kinds of things and kind of put all this data together. And I, I would say probably not surprisingly for a lot of your listeners, RPGs were the the sort of top of the the rank as far as the correlation between people playing who play RPGs had higher resilience. Uh, and and you know there's a whole bunch more studies that could be done around this to to dive deeper. But one of the things I I think is related to that and comes out of that is in an RPG you are the character, right? You're mm-hmm. speaking as them you're solving problems as them. And, you know, even if you're not to the level where you're, you're full on acting out your part and doing character voices and stuff, (laughs) you're still imagining yourself in that scenario, right? You're picturing the whole thing, you're doing visualization, and then you're visualizing, okay, if I was in this scenario, how would I problem solve to do it? And it's very open-ended, right? Like a lot of the, the Euro games and stuff I like to play, you've got a handful of choices for how you're allowed to manipulate those components on the board to try to achieve your goal. But in an RPG, you know, in, in quest of your, for example, you can say anything you want that you want to do, even if it makes no sense at all. And, and it might result in a dying roll to figure out if you were successful or not, but, but the, the 
sort of range of choice you have is as open-ended as it is in real life. And often the consequences are very similar to how they are in real life. The difference I think is in an RPG, if you fail, it's not the same as if you fail in real life and, and sort of have that, you know, I think sometimes people have shame or embarrassment or, or the fear of those things if they fail. And so they're less um, likely to take risks, but in an RPG, you can kind of experiment and then see how that experimentation plays out and then learn from that experience in a safer environment. Um, and so I think that's a big reason why RPGs are so impactful in helping people develop those skills. And even one of my colleagues, Joe Lastly, uh, from the, the same PhD program, uh, who's now a professor up in Maine, a lot of his research is actually looking at critical role and their fan base in particular in finding that watching people play an RPG is helping people have a similar developmental experience. Like watching these experienced players act out the part, encounter challenges, and then problem solve and overcome those challenges as a group is having a really positive impact on people dealing with all kinds of mental health issues um, and struggles in their own life that just being a part of this experience and, and watching others do it can actually have an impact. So I think we're going to see a lot more research from the academic world kind of spilling over into the game world as people sort of figure out how to take what RPGs seem to be doing naturally and then hone it into a way that can continue to be a tool to help people. That is wonderful. And I know from personal experience, uh, the tabletop role-playing games have helped me. They've helped me develop skills. Um, when I started playing with my children when they were younger, uh, really, uh, it was to do something fun together, but I had no real, uh, I had no real idea that it was going to impact them in such a way that I would see firsthand their development and excelling in certain areas when it came to communication and leadership and decision-making and critical thinking, um, it was, uh, it was eye-opening and I, I'm so glad that you've created a game that's based on a family favorite film. That's, that is a really, uh, uh, a sonnet to tabletop role-playing games. And now you've created an introduction a, a, a tabletop role-playing game that's wonderful at introducing new players. So a lot of, a lot of the families who are listening, um, they are uh, big time uh, tabletop RPG fans. They have been raised on D and D um, they're raising people on D and D. Um, but there are quite a few families who listen to the show to be encouraged and inspired to try it with their own family. And I hope they try quests of your Pat. Thanks again for being on the show. Thank you for coming out and thank you for all your great, amazing games. We can't wait to see what's coming out next year from USAopoly. And we can't wait to see what you're going to come out with next. And I hope that everyone who's listening follows the op on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook um, and of course goes to raised on for all those links.
Great. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure.